Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton, and I want to mention an upcoming BIV event, February 28th at the Shangri-La Hotel. The newspaper is facilitating an expert retirement-ready panel discussion on how and when to retire and how to embrace what should be the triumphant years of a longer life. More details can be found at BIV.com slash events. And look, amid kind of these ongoing stories in the tech industry that maybe is accused of too often catering to a quote-unquote bro culture, startup founder Gareth Brown, he set out to build a team here in Vancouver that better reflects society at large. Now, the CEO of Clear Renewables, he's going to join us in a few moments to discuss his success so far, as well as the challenges ahead as his company looks to double its headcount in the coming year. I also want to highlight one other event on February 21st, again, at the Shangri-La Hotel. We've got another expert panel, this time focused on due diligence and valuation when buying a business. Go to BIV.com slash events for more details. And also a little later on today, we're going to speak to Morno Chappelle's Rochelle Morandini, all about efforts to fight stigmas surrounding mental illness in the workplace. Now let's get to the show. Our next guest is intent on building a team at his tech startup that maybe better reflects society at large. Gareth Brown is the CEO of Clear Renewables, and he's recently published a blog on LinkedIn breaking down from a business perspective why it's so important to eschew maybe that bro culture that exists at some startups. Gareth, I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. Thanks. Thanks very much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, so Gareth, before we jump into it, though, tell us a little bit about what you guys specialize at over at Clear Renewables. So at Clear, we're focused on increasing the output of renewable energy assets. So we're um, we basically connect into wind farms, solar farms, pull the data off those assets, put it in the cloud, run some AI and some advanced analytics on that to give owner or operators a really deep understanding of their assets so they can increase the output. And so I think it would be wise for me to guess that you guys want a diverse group of people in order to achieve all of your goals going forward at the company. Yeah, I think the the big point for us when we're looking at diversity, like I say, obviously, I like coming to work in a diverse group. But the bottom line is, it's all about the business. Um, in terms of getting broader buy-in there. So when we were looking at setting up the firm at the at the end of 2016, the start of 2017, we were really aware of the issues that were going on in the tech uh, world at that time and still are to to um, to, 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 to him day. So we were really aware that we had this large opportunity in, 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 in front of us. There was a real need for our software and we wanted to build a, a good sized team. We were initially start, start, starting there with, with, with them two fat, fat, fat founders. And we felt that if we, if we did this right, we would be up to a hundred employees fairly quick, 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 quickly. And working in the wind energy, like my background was not in the the software space, but working in renewable energy, going to uh, operations and maintenance and conferences, working with my clients in the past, I'm just very aware that we had a a predominantly white male uh, um, uh, employee base. And then looking at the tech industry, similar again, but knowing that if we wanted to go from two staff to 100 staff, 
and to ensure that we that we could attract their the best people into our firm that we we needed to look at how do we get more diverse applicants ap- applying to our firm because if say like our, our firm is very interested in in working uh, very much fo- fo- focused on ai so let's say the best machine learning um uh, phd out of ubc here uh, came from a minority ba- background or whatever or, um in some form and looked uh, and looked at our firm and just saw a bunch of, uh, of, of of white males working in that group, it would be very difficult for us to attract that talent. Mm-hmm. So our intent has been just to proactively find candidates who 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 would fill who would fill the, the, the who are qualified to and fill the the, the 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 role at our firm, but maybe wouldn't typically apply. So you're building it. Is it easier to kind of build it from the ground up then instead of, say, you know, five years down the road, you're like, wow, we have this very homogenous looking workforce. Now let's try to do our best to attract some more diverse talent. Exactly. I think once the, you know, the, 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 once you're already in that group where you've got 50, 100 employees and you're a homo- homogenous group, it's very di- difficult to attract in the best talent outside that group. Yeah. So for us, it was a conscious decision setting up, uh, up, uh, up the firm, particularly after the first year that we wanted to get more diversity in our applicant pool because we were seeing, seeing the same groups applying for jobs again and again and again, so which, which, which it meant being go, going out and being very pro, 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 proactive and De- deliberate about who, who we were uh, approaching. I'll say this. I, I can relate to that in that if you ask anybody, and if we're being totally honest, journalism is an industry right now that lends itself mostly white people. And I, I think there's more mixed with, say, gender diversity, though, in journalism. But I do know from previous managers that there are sometimes challenges. You, you do need to make sure that you're getting you know great people that maybe reflect society at large. And I've heard this before in the tech industry. I mean, are there challenges ahead for ensuring that you can have this good mix? Uh, we also see from, say, schools, they want to make sure that they have like a good mix, as say, a better gender balance coming out of engineering departments, too. What are the challenges that lay ahead for ensuring that you meet these goals? I think the, the big challenge, I mean, always come back to impact and we want to have the biggest impact on our marketplace. And I, I say that to investors. I get investors who tell me, you know, don't focus on, on diversity you need to focus on surviving your startup. You've been around. You look, you've done great in your first year, your, your second year, and everything else. I'm saying, yeah, that's right. And the, the and the reason we're focused on this is because we want to have that bigger impact and be more successful as a business and going forward. But the big challenges that we see specifically is the the legacy hangover of not having diversity in these industries historically. Mm-hmm. So getting junior intermediate staff is, I would say, is not as big a challenge. There are, you know, UBC, the other schools are kicking out talent there that can ensure, like, we're at 57% from a gender perspective. We, we can improve it from a... Um uh, a, 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 a visible ma- ma- minor, ma- minority perspective at our firm. Um, but the, from a junior intermediate perspective, it hasn't been too difficult to do. Uh, where it's been more challenging is when you start looking for someone to come in as a, in a more senior role who's right. got 10, 15 years experience because you're really looking back at, at that employment pipeline over the last 10, 20 years to, to, to fill those gaps. And we, we didn't have that diversity pool, historical t- talent there to um, draw on. 
I think about other conversations I've had with tech companies, and I think everybody in Vancouver, maybe we can talk a little bit about the ecosystem here in Vancouver. But I think everyone is struggling right now for that, say, intermediate talent, especially like the managers that you need within the tech sector. Tell me a little bit about how you think Vancouver is coming along with regards to cultivating the talent that it needs, maybe not right now immediately when it comes to some of those managers that are needed, but how are we looking maybe 10, 15 years down the road? Yeah, I think what's really interesting is the dynamic the big players have brought to, to, to the market here. So everyone, like there'll be a lot of people complaining that they're sucking up the talent. Um, so you'll, you'll get people say, well, Amazon, they're paying so much and everything else. But, but from my perspective, um, it's been great because they're bringing so much talent into the town here. And Amazon is it all it's on a name companies here, but all these big players are not ne- necessary where these employees are going to get the most fulfill- fulfillment there. So we've we've been able to go into these bigger firms with employees and poach pe- and people to c- come in and work for us who are more aligned. Like we we and we pay well. We don't pay as well as uh, as, as as some as the uh, the big players there, but we give employees a mission and a purpose and being part of a firm that's you know having a really big impact on the world. So actually seeing the bigger firms bringing in talent from outside of BC because there is such such a dearth of um, um, uh, it, 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 it employees here to 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 draw on. But if you do have a successful, great place to work, you will actually find that that's actually great for your, for your company as well because you'll be able to attract some of that talent. It's interesting you bring that up, though, just with regards to maybe some of the bigger players having an influence here. I recall the new CEO of Build Direct, for example, he came up from Seattle. And as he kind of took over the reins, he began recruiting other people that he knew from, say, the Valley or from Seattle as well. They're now coming up to Vancouver and they are having influence on the city. They are bringing up their own kind of expertise that may be harder to come by in Vancouver. But it means as if, you know, people here in this tech ecosystem, they are going to benefit from that expertise that otherwise would have just been down in the valley being, I guess, kind of a small fish at that point. That's it. Yes, this is a global market for talent. Um, you know, these are, these are, these are transferable skills and um if we can get exposure to the the um, local employee base to the best people out there to get uh, improving of what they do and get uh, and getting experience there, then it can be hugely beneficial. So you bring up the fact that this is a global marketplace. Tell me a little bit about Clear's market. Who are you guys pretty much targeting at this point? Oh, like we're we kind of break it down like into a few different areas. I mean, we talk about increasing the output. That's obviously our main communication on on what we do to kind of sit to to simplify our our message there. But quite frankly, what we're doing is managing technical financial risk on these assets. So anybody who's got an interest in technical financial risk on wind farms, solar farms, storage assets, we're interested in having a conversation with them. So we work with owners, asset managers, someone who is doing the operations and maintenance on the asset, but also anyone who who has a uh, who is exposed on the asset financially. So you could be looking at insurers, lenders, but also any energy traders as well. So we've initially f- focused on the asset owners. Um, so we so, so, so so we have clients from Hawaii all, all the way to Europe right now. We have clients in Denmark, Greece, the UK, and all, all over the, the, the world, and we're growing very, 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 very quickly. Well, tell me a little bit about the genesis of the company. When did you kind of identify that this is going to be a market that is obviously going to be taking off in the near future and the long term as well? 
Yeah, like I, lucky that I like I say I don't have a lot of experience uh, historically and in, in, in software tech, but my background is I've done a lot of work on, on wind turbines. So, and, you know, I got involved in the industry back in two thousand five, two thousand six, and I asked. Uh, a startup in uh, in, in Scotland, and I, I was a one company guy b- b- before this. So I was working all over the world on projects sent to India, Sri Lanka, China, and then 2009 I was uh, I was sent uh, to to North America to set 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 up the, the the operations here, and then from that I got exposed to most of the major operators in the world who've got multi billion dollar asset hold holders, and it was I was very aware that I was getting pulled into d- distressed assets a lot so assets which were struggling for for, for, for various re, re, reasons and a lot of the issues that they were seeing was because they didn't understand they didn't have the tools to understand the assets and, and very very well so i decided kind of end of 2016 to leave my job to kind of explore how i could have, have a, a bigger impact on, on the on the industry and by the start of 2017 i had um i had to, to uh, and decided to focus on um, on, on, on this market. So when I hadn't, the, the two things at the time I hadn't done was one, I hadn't built software, and secondly, I had never raised money but, but, and before there. So on, easy things to tackle, right? Easy uh, things as, as an got, entrepreneur. And I always say like <laughs> I'd rather be lucky than good at times. And I say I got lucky on the on the software side where you know we got some really a great MCTO on board from a, a, from um, a, a former employee from. A, a, Amazon there who, who who gave us some kind of really sound advice and then um, we on the pre-sales sorry on the the raising money we we, we 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 quick we quickly realized it was about driving sales if you got pre-sales in place then your valuation went up so we we're able to raise a small amount of, ca- of capital there at the start of in pre-sales and we just iterated out through to to 2017 so by the end of of, of 2017 we had over a gigawatt of assets we were we were cash flow and neutral and we were in a good spot to to grow a nice organic and business, but I'm really focused on how do we have a really big impact on the world? How do, how do, how do we lower the cost of energy for, for re, 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 renewable energy assets? So at that time in February 2018, we decided that to meet the market and traction there, we, we needed to go out and raise money. So we were able to raise um, 2.1 million of um of, of, of angel funds here in Vancouver, but also let leverage that against uh, getting some um, uh, some SDTC and uh, other government grants in place. So we raised a further three million to to, to, to turn our kind of pro, pro, prototype and technology into a full blown commercial pro, pro, pro product there. And then, yeah, and we're just about to, to enter another financing raise now to to to, to raise another five million to to, oh, wow. to basically fund um, global growth. So, oh wow. Well, talk about. I, I'm curious though how, and I know you said at the start, you know, it's a global market, but how is BC stacking up uh, with regards to the kind of the potential market here? How are we doing with regards to renewables? Um, you mentioned Scotland. I remember I, I took a tour and going from like Edinburgh to like say Glencoe, they're talking all about like how wind power is taking over. But you know, it's, that's a different country. It's kind of a different situation. How does a province like British Columbia stack up? British Columbia starts from a tremendous baseload of re- re- renewable energy here, and obviously there was um, uh, the kind of Clean Power Act a few years ago with Gordon Ka- Ka- Campbell and everything else. Um, 
With renewables, we're obviously building Site C. We've been committed on that side. I would say, though, I always come down to um, uh, renewables doesn't need to be subsidized anymore. It okay. doesn't need subsidy. It's so cheap. I mean, you've basically seen the, um, the the Empower calls in Alberta. It's kind of three cents power there. And my own, so my only comment about BC and getting really affordable renewable energy is really about we shouldn't be picking winners. Yeah. So when we decide to build a project like Site C, you know, you're, you're investing. You know, it feels very much like a political decision rather than a ratepayer d- 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 decision there when actually, you know, you could have gone out and tested the market and got other projects to, to almost compete against that, um, especially because renewables, other forms of renewable energy have fallen off a cliff in price So um, in the last few few, few years. Um, but, you know, we're, we're in a good position as, as far as percentage clean, clean, and clean energy goes, but we still have a lot to do as a, pro, uh, as a province to, to get our carbon emissions down. I, I feel as if uh, the future of hydro could also be like a segment in and of itself uh, if we dive into it. But like Site C, that's uh, one of those issues where it's like, yeah, you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Of uh, moving forward at this point, the project. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I understood where, where we ended up. It's just difficult as a, as a ratepayer. I always kind of come back to that first, looking at the process of how that project got a, got, got approved yeah. in, the, in the first place. Yeah. Well, excellent, hey, Gareth. Uh, great talking to you. I want to thank you for joining us on the show. Great, thanks, uh, and thanks, guys. I, I really appreciate. it. That's Gareth Brown. He is the CEO of Clear Renewables. And stay with us. We're going to be back right after this. New research from human resources company Morneau Chappelle reveals workplace stress levels are on the rise here in Canada. But there are some positives to take away from this report, especially with regards to how we approach stigma surrounding mental illness in the workplace. Rochelle Morandini, she's a partner at Morneau Chappelle. She joins us on the show. Rochelle, thanks for joining us today. Well, I appreciate your interest. So what do we need to do better to address workplace stress here in Canada? Well, I think employers have taken great strides, and this was certainly shown in our research this year, to put resources in place to help people be resilient. But where I think organizations have been a little bit more resistant or haven't made the same amount of efforts is actually reducing the stressors in the workplace. So that's certainly an area that needs a little bit more attention. So what kind of stressors are, are we talking about here? Just to maybe uh, put something in, in uh, paint a picture in our heads to a certain degree. Absolutely. Each organization will certainly have its own unique stressors. But what I've seen in working with organizations and focusing on their mental health strategies, we're seeing increasing levels of burnout. And this can be in very high engaged employers, you know, even good employers, where there just seems to be less staff available, higher tech change going on. And so individuals are feeling, um, as, as we all know, feeling they're doing more with less. And I think there are factors in the workplace such as that um, where there could be efforts to start to mitigate some of those pressures. So do you think managers are also under pressure as well? Because, I, I mean, look, if employees are facing burnout, maybe managers are putting them under pressure because they're facing their bosses that need to get results, results, results. I, I mean, is it kind of a, a difficult cycle to break to a certain degree? 
So you absolutely make a good point. Um, managers are that, that key, key nut kind of in the middle of everything in the sense that they get the pressures from above and they also have to uh, address the pressures from the teams they're supporting. So absolutely it's critical when it comes to managers and managers feeling valued and managers feeling supported because similar to engagement, there's a significant ripple effect that if a manager is feeling valued and engaged, you're more likely to find that they're able to support uh, their own teams as well. I mean, do you think maybe some managers need to maybe push back a little bit and just kind of break it down for the execs? Say, hey, look, if you want to get the best results, we have to take this at a sustainable sort of pace. I certainly think they they should be able to do that. I think that all depends on the culture in the organization. I think that that's the factor that's really important here is it's one thing for us to train our managers to be uh, compassionate, to be good listeners, to support their employees, but they also need that same support and they need to see, feel safe that they can bring forward uh, these types of concerns to their senior leadership uh, in a safe manner. So how do we, I guess, go about like looking at the links between stress and the culture of the workplace? Are, are there indicators about how maybe a workplace is organized that, you know, seems obvious that it would kind of lead to heightened stress levels versus other organizations? Well, certainly what we found in the research this year is there's kind of uh, individual personal emotional factors that the workplace makes stressful, and then there's organizational factors. Interesting, the emotional factors tended to hold more weight. So that is things such as feeling isolated at the workplace, uh, feeling valued at work. Those who don't feel valued at work tended to report higher workplace stress. We even looked at things such as where somebody's working space was, whether they worked at home, whether they had a desk or just an open kind of working area. Uh, uh, high workload or not having control in your work day. So those tend to be factors, at least for sure in the, in the research this year that showed up as being correlated with higher work stress. Yeah, I mean, just for me personally, I remember when I would work as a, a freelance reporter and I'd work from home quite a bit. I always appreciate coming into the workplace more. I, I just felt that there's like levels of camaraderie. And one of the things that you guys bring up here is workplace isolation. How does that maybe whittle away at our ability to do the best job possible? Yeah, because where people were indicating high levels of isolation, so that was defined as uh, feeling alone uh, without support or friends or help in the workplace. Uh, we certainly saw that associated with things like sleep issues, higher work stress, um, so it certainly uh, shows up in many different ways. And in different organizations, it really depends. Some people may feel isolated because they're working in, in smaller, isolated locations. But sometimes people can feel isolated just in the workplace uh, purely because they're not part of a work team, for say. Maybe they're the only one that does their job. You know, isolation can take many different types of forms. So I, I want to turn our attention to what the report is talking about with regards to, I guess, the stigma surrounding mental illness and addressing that within the workplace. Mm-hmm. We are getting better in Canada. How much better are we getting and maybe where do we need to go from here? One, one of the things that showed up, uh, so we've done this research over five years. And over the five years, one of the biggest drops we saw in stigma, which is fantastic, is what I call social stigma. So uh, the question around people would treat me differently if they knew I had a mental health issue, that dropped about 20%. Uh, So that's really critical because we need to change just the general society thoughts around um, mental health. And I think that's really starting. That then obviously ripples into the workplace where we did see a good drop in comments around that it would affect my career opportunities if I, you know, if somebody knew I had a mental health issue. Still certainly more work to go in the workplace. 
And the other place we need more work in is still self-stigma. So although that did improve over the last three years, you still got more than 50% of people who have their own stigma if they felt they were struggling for mental health. And that's the biggest barrier to somebody getting help. I'm, I'm trying to think of how I've kind of noticed society you know, changing and workplaces changing with regards to addressing this. And I think a lot of it just has to do to with maybe more of a willingness to talk about it publicly, whether it's through social media channels. I, I think social media is playing you know, a, a big role in this. So what's your takeaway on how society is starting to get better with regards to addressing this? I think you've hit it on the head. I think we're seeing more of it, not only in social in social media. We certainly see uh, more media attention. Uh, we also see things on TV more often. I mean, Bell's Let's Talk Day, which was this week, um, is really uh, repeatedly bringing it to the forefront. Um, I think we're seeing more and more uh, public discussions, which is certainly making an impact. So I'm curious, though, let's say you, you're a worker, you're stressed out, which I know, I know that, that that's uh, most people at work. But if you are feeling that you're maybe suffering from burnout or it's affecting your job performance, what advice do you have for an employee with regards to how they need to go about addressing this in a way that makes sense? So that's going to really depend on how safe they feel in the environment they're working in and certainly what type of relationship they have with their supervisors. Assuming that's good and positive, and in our research, it showed that you know 50% of people do feel very supported by their manager. It's really important for them to speak up and talk to their manager, um, bring up what their concerns are. Um, if that isn't possible, even if they feel someone they can talk to uh, at the workplace as well, that they feel safe. But if an, or if an individual is not in that situation, and let's face it, there are people out there who don't have that type of environment to speak up, where they're feeling those types of things, they really need to go and talk to somebody, ideally their, their physician. Um, but if nothing else, try and access counseling, uh, try and get some help. Don't let it uh, continue to, to, to fester inside of you because it will only make your condition worse. Well, excellent. Rochelle, I really do appreciate you coming on the show and talking about this. I, I think it's such an important issue, and I, I'm glad that we're getting the message out there to more people. Yes, well, me too. Thank you for the interest. That's Rochelle Morandini. She's a partner at Morneau Chappelle. And that is it for our show today. We're going to be back next week. And for now, you can find our archives on iTunes and Stitcher. And we'd also encourage you to share it with your friends and leave a review as it's going to help other people find this podcast. For now, I'm Tyler Orton, and thank you for listening. <laughs>